Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the grave of Jacob as we pick up in Genesis chapter 50, verse 5. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. In my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father according as he has made you to swear. Now though he was buried in a cave, and they didn't need to dig the grave that way, yet in these caves they dug niches in the walls. And uh, they, they would lay the bodies in these niches in the walls. If you've been to the catacombs in Rome, you've seen it there, the niches in the walls uh, that they have dug out for the bodies. And the same is true in Israel. There are caves uh, right up at the top of the Mount of Olives just below the Intercontinental Hotel. There is an interesting burial cave there. And all of these niches... Uh, in the wall of the cave that they dug out for the various people who in times past were buried in them. And so he had dug out his own niche. And so that's what he means in, in, the, in the grave which I dug. He had dug out his niche in this cave when he dug out Leah's niche. He probably no doubt dug out his own niche to be buried by her in the cave. And so Joseph is, is now asking the Pharaoh for permission. And, and of course, they at this time have become an important part of the whole uh, Egyptian prosperity. And, and the Egyptians probably did not want them to leave at this point. And so to ensure the fact that they aren't just migrating back now to Canaan, he's asking permission to go and to bury his father, but with the assurance that we will come back again to the land. And uh, I will come again, he declares in verse 5. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father according as he made you to swear. And Joseph went to bury his father, and with him the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all of the elders of the land of Egypt, and all of the house of Joseph and his brothers, And his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. So they didn't take the children, but the adults all went. Of course, leaving their children and their herds is one of the greatest guarantees that they're not immigrating back, but they're just going for the burial. Now, a great multitude went. There went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a great company of people. And so they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And as they came up, they actually came up on the eastern side, crossing above the Red Sea, coming up on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, uh, into the area about where Joshua crossed, in the area of Jericho. And from Jericho, coming up the pass towards Jerusalem, veering to the left, coming up through the area of Bethlehem across through the valley of Eshcol and to Hebron where the cave existed. So they came up on the east bank of the Jordan because there are more 
fresh water supplies on the East Bank, coming up the West Bank of the Dead Sea. It would have been a long, hard journey without water because there are very few water tributaries coming in to the Dead Sea from the west side, but there are some good streams and springs on the east side of the Dead Sea. So that's why they made their journey up that way, then crossed the Jordan River on the north side of the Dead Sea, and then on up, as I said, that valley towards Jerusalem, cutting across to Bethlehem and down through the Valley of Eshcol to Hebron, where Jacob was to be buried. But they, they stopped for a little celebration uh, on the east side of the Jordan River, and there they mourned with a very great and sore lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father for seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And so they, of course, didn't know probably that it was actually Jacob, that his sons, Joseph, they just figured they were all Egyptians. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them, for the sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephraim the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brothers, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. Now, this was Jacob's desire, and it was probably a, a desire. It did express faith. The faith of Jacob that this is the land God has given us up here. And so by faith, Jacob made mention you know, uh, of his bones before he died, asking them to bury him back in the land. It was, a, it was a mark of faith, but really, it was putting upon the family certainly an unnecessary burden. To carry that body all the way from Egypt, clear on up to Hebron to bury it there, what an unnecessary strain and burden he's putting upon the family. But there was a special purpose for it, and so... It was an expression of faith. This is the land that God has promised. This is the land where I want to be buried. But let me tell you something. God hasn't promised me any land, and I don't care where they bury me. Because I think that we make much too much fuss over the old house once the Spirit has departed. All it is is an empty shell. It's the tent in which the person used to dwell. But they now have a building of God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And I think that we make much too much fuss over the old tent. Sure, we sorrow, and there's nothing wrong with sorrowing. Surely we grieve, and that's only natural. We're going to miss them. We can't help but miss them. And there's nothing sinful or wrong with sorrowing or grieving because a loved one has been taken from us. But to make a big fuss over the body, to get all upset because the casket, 
you know, just isn't what you wanted or the florist didn't fix the flowers just right. And, you know, to have a big old, you know, thing, that's such a shame. Once I leave this old tent, it really doesn't make any difference. You say, oh, but cremation, can a Christian be cremated? I look upon cremation as just a speeding up of nature's process. Cremation will do in 37 minutes what nature will do in 37 years. I see no problem with it spiritually. You know, in time, if there were going to be time, the body is just going to go back to the dust again, the tent. But the tent is me. It has never been me. It has only been the place where I have been living. Now, we learn to relate people to the body, and that is rightfully so. But once the person's spirit leaves the body, we shouldn't relate them to that body anymore. Behold, I show you a mystery, though. We're not going to all sleep. We're all going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. I'm looking forward to that. Now, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Aha, Joseph will now hate us, and he'll certainly require from us all of the evil which we did to him. He's going to get even now. He's going to requit us all of that evil. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Your father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say to Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of, thy, of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spoke unto him. They sent messengers to Joseph saying, your dad Jacob, before he died, said, hey, treat your brothers all right, will you? And the brothers came in and said, you know, hey, we're the servants of your father's God. Please, you know, uh, forgive us the things that we've done. And Joseph wept before them. And his brothers also went and they fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we'll become your slaves. And Joseph said unto them, Don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Now, this is a very illuminating phrase because it shows that Joseph has a right estimate of things. That is, that judgment belongs to God. Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of bringing retribution? Am I in the place of bringing judgment? Am I in the place of bringing vengeance upon you? God said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, it is not up to me to bring judgment or vengeance upon a person who I feel has wronged me. That's God's place. It isn't my place at all. And Joseph, recognizing it as God's place, then had the right attitude towards his brother in this whole thing. Am I in the place of God? That shows us, actually, the secret behind his attitude is his commitment to God and that area to God. 
And we also need to commit to God that area of judgment. There are people that will say horrible things against you if you do anything. If you don't do anything, no one's going to say anything. But if you dare to do anything for the Lord, you're going to get your critics. Now, you can waste your time going around trying to answer all your critics. Or you can just go on doing the work of the Lord and let the Lord take care of the critics that rise. And if you have the right perspective, you'll just leave that in the hands of the Lord. You'll not try to defend yourself or whatever. But, you know, I think it's one of Satan's tricks, really, to get us off of the real work of God and into the area of apologetics and defense. Get us fighting. Fighting communism. Fighting liberalism. Fighting, you know, so many different things. And we're no longer really proclaiming the power of God and the love of God and, and the work of God. But we're, we're fighting now all of these, you know, entities that are out there. Fighting the devil. I think that it's a trap that it's easy to fall into. But as for you, Joseph said, you thought evil against me, but God intended it for good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, the salvation of many people alive. Now, your intentions were evil. You were wrong. Your motives were wrong. But even behind it, God was working. The Bible says that God uses the wrath of man to praise his name. It is interesting to me how so many times God turns the tables on the devil. He'll prepare a trap for the children of God, and God will just turn the tables on him. Now here the brothers of Joseph, their intentions were evil. No getting around that. But behind it, God was working for good. And this is true all the way through life. For no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. This is the heritage of the children of the Lord. Though man may intend to evil and to hurt you, and all God is able to turn it around and to bring good from it. We need to have that kind of confidence in God that all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And even though a person might maliciously seek to malign you and hurt you, God can turn it for good. You meant it for evil, but God has intended it for good for the salvation of many people. Now, therefore, don't be afraid for I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years, so another 54 years after his father's death. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, and the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph's knees. So he was a great-grandpa and brought up his grandkids on his knees, you know, bounced them around and had the joy uh, of seeing not only his grandchildren, but his great-grandchildren. And uh, 
I don't know, grandkids are great, and I suppose great-grandkids are just that much more. So he, he had the joy of, of, of bouncing his great-grandkids on his knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, and that it would indicate that some of his brothers were still alive, perhaps at the time that he was going to die. I'm going to die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of, his children, of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and, shall, and ye shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a casket in Egypt. Now, Joseph didn't put them to all the trouble of carrying his bones back immediately or the, uh, the body back immediately, but he, at least when you leave here and you go. And so some 300 years later, when they left, they, they took this casket of Joseph and the children of Israel carried it out of the land of Egypt and they brought it into the land and buried him in the land of promise. So Joseph again expressing that same faith of Jacob. This isn't my land. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim here. I want to be buried in the land that God has promised unto us. And so the Jews' love for the land isn't something that has arisen lately. It isn't something that has risen because of the persecution in Germany or the persecution in Russia or elsewhere. That love for the land has been something that has been planted in them from the beginning. Even before they possessed the land, that love for the land was there in their hearts. And Joseph said, hey, keep me here for a while, but when you leave, take me with you. I want to be buried in the land that God has promised unto our fathers. And surely God will visit and bring you out. Now, as I said, if they had been reading the scriptures, they would have known that their time in Egypt would be quite a while, 400 years they were to sojourn in Egypt, but yet the faith and confidence that one day God is going to bring them out, bring them into the land. When he does, take me with you. And so, uh, again, beautiful faith in the promises of God. So now we jump a period of some 300 years as we leave now Joseph and as we begin next the book of Exodus we are leaving 300 years unaccounted for in their history because the next important event of their history is their coming out of the land of Egypt and now under new leadership a man named Moses who was of the tribe of Levi, cruel, short-tempered, hot-tempered Levi. And yet, of Moses it is said, of all the men upon the earth, he's probably the meekest. So surely he did not have the characteristics of Levi, except in the beginning. You see, he had 40 years to learn meekness. In the beginning, he did display that hot temper of Levi. That's what got him into trouble. He was out and he saw the Egyptian mistreating one of the Israelites and he killed him. There's Levi again. 
But by the time God was through with him, after his 40 years out in the backside of the wilderness, there was a real change wrought in Moses, and he became one of the meekest men who ever lived. The changes that God is able to make in a human personality are really glorious. Taking a person from a fiery, hot-tempered, no control, to a meek, quiet kind of a spirit, the work of God in Moses' life. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Exodus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 50 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you. May his hand be upon your life this week. And may God work in your life in the changing of your nature with open face. May you behold the glory of the Lord. And as you gaze into his glory, may his spirit work in you, changing you from glory to glory into his image that God might conform you into the image of Christ, that you might become the person that God wants you to be. Not governed by your own will, but governed by the Spirit of God. Reacting and responding, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, that your life might be a testimony in your home, in the office, at your place of work, wherever you are, as that nature and character of Christ is revealed in you. And thus may men be drawn unto our Lord, and may your life be used as a witness for God's glory. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Come study the Bible with Pastor Chuck Smith as he teaches from Genesis through Revelation on a digitally remastered audio edition of Pastor Chuck's Bible Commentary. That's over 600 audio MP3 files of Pastor Chuck teaching through the entire Bible, all on a 16-gig reusable flash drive. 
Now you can easily listen to Pastor Chuck's Bible commentaries when you insert this key into your computer. Then you can transfer all of these audio Bible studies to a smartphone or any other listening device to learn and study God's Word on the go. And not only that, you can reuse this flash drive that easily fits onto any keyring for even more mobility at a fraction of the cost. What a great way to study and learn God's Word. For more information, please call the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.